the flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, Will Larson joins the show. You may know him as the Upland Rookie, but he's far from a rookie in the bird hunting and dog training world. We'll dig into his story, talk about summer dog training, some hunting gear, do-it-yourself bird hunts, and so much more. All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Martin. As always, is our producer, Brandon. Happy 4th of July to you. We are now in hunt planning mode. Hunt planning mode. Are you planning any hunts? No, I'm not planning anything specifically, but if you're willing to plan something and bring me with, (laughs) then I'm totally in. I'm I'm already planning in my mind where I'm going to take you this fall. It will happen. You will bag your first wild Minnesota rooster. Uh, I'm already putting it in the bag. All right. I'll mark your words. It's in the bag. You've guaranteed it. Yeah. I, so there's a couple places in North Dakota that I've got on my list. I've got uh, an Iowa hunt. Uh, we're looking at Maine. I'm looking at New Mexico. I'm looking at Alabama. I'm looking at Montana and Wyoming. And I'm really close to booking my flights to Alaska. I'm like, I am extremely excited. I, you know, this, this is kind of like, you know, after the 4th of July, people start thinking that it's time to, you know, like summer's on the out, um, you know, and there's still so much of it left. So I don't want to push it out, but I am already getting giddy because in my world, uh, I have to be a little bit further ahead of the planning game just with our production schedule and making sure that I've got flights and travel and kind of breaking down an entire hunting season um, to make sure that we fit our whole, you know, we get enough shows in the can, basically. So uh, I'm already I'm already thinking fall, and so my brain is there. I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably getting that itch, even though there's some hundred degree days. Uh, I'm excited though, Brandon, because our guest today, he's he's a, a, a young hunter, just like us. He lives it um, and you know he's got a, a wealth of knowledge. So I think we'll just go ahead and bring him right in. Will Larson, I appreciate you taking time today. Happy 4th of July. Did you get to spend it with your family? Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me on, Travis. Um, yes, I did get to spend Fourth of July with my crew. We were down in uh, the Dallas area tex- of Texas, and uh, it was it was pretty darn hot. I'll say that <laughs> over a hundred degrees. I hear it was it was consistently. So, what's worse, being well? I guess I should be the one to answer this because I live in Minnesota. But I feel like people down there they don't come out during the summer months because it's hot. People up in Minnesota don't come out in the wintertime because it's cold. Um, but at least in the winter, I can put layers on to be comfortable. You can't take enough off to be comfortable when it's over 100 degrees down there, right? I mean, without getting in trouble, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty rough. We, uh, we did the whole Magnolia Farms thing down there for my wife. Uh, she, she was in her element down there. Um, but she is, she's seven months pregnant. So the, the Texas heat was, was, pretty, in, was pretty intense. We'll, we'll say that. I mean, I grew up in Chicago. And so we had the humidity, the bugs, all that kind of stuff up there. So I'm a little used to it, but but I think Texas is another level. Bless her for, uh, bless every mother actually for (laughs) what they go through to have kids. So this is number six for you? This is, this is number six. Um, My goodness. uh, Yeah, it's, it's fun, man. We, uh, we always wanted a big family. We, uh, we went for, we went for four originally and we got twins. So that put us at four and five. Wow. And the twins are coming up on three now. And uh, this one coming up, uh, 
Yeah, I'll just say it's uh, this baby's due in bird season, due uh, mm-hmm. mid September. So I'm a little stressed out. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I'm, I'm I'm a little torn, but um, we're we're super excited. I feel like with the price of everything going up, you you probably are going to need to shoot somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight to nine thousand birds to help <laughs> your plan this year. Is that accurate? If I just hit every state, maybe I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, a lot of our listeners that are big into Upland Bird Hunting podcasts may know of yours already, but it's the Upland Rookie podcast. And you launched that when? I launched that uh, spring of 2021. So just a little over a little over a year ago now. What What got into your mind? What was your thinking behind wanting to do this? I mean, so so podcasts have have always been a huge part of I say my growth and development into upland hunting, to be honest. Um, I remember picked up my first bird dog, Gage, uh, about what he's, he's almost five. So about five years ago. And uh, I just, I turned to podcasts of, of trying to learn, like trying to soak up, where do I start? How do I know where to hunt? How do I know what to do with my dog? And so podcasts for me were a huge tool, I guess, to, um, yeah, it helped, helped me grow, helped me grow and, and kind of know where to start, where to begin. And so anyways, Fast forward several years, I was, I was a podcast junkie, still am. Um, and finally, kind of just, I don't know, it was like, you know what? Like, here's an idea I thought I could, could bring some value, hopefully, and uh, decided like, hey, let's, let's give this a shot. And literally had like, I was like, I'll do two episodes. I'll, I'll record two episodes. I'll see how it goes. And, uh, and sure enough, it's, it's been so much fun uh, doing these, doing, uh, these episodes. Why the name Upland Rookie, though? Um, I think I will always view myself as an Upland rookie and, uh, you know, no matter how, how knowledgeable I'll ever feel, I think we all are, we all are going to continue to grow for the rest of our hunting journey. Uh, no matter if you're a 30 year veteran, you know, hitting the fields of North Dakota or someone who's just starting out. Um, I think there's always something to learn. And I also know, Again, part of my own experience getting into upland hunting and bird dogs, like it was hard. It was really hard navigating the world. Like sure, you had podcasts and articles, um, but it was just like you had to figure out a lot. And, and I thought, hey, if I can can bring to that rookie group, to those those guys and, and girls who are so excited, picking up their first dog or uh, you know heading into their first season, I was like, if I can can help them with one thing even you know, on their upland journey of, Hey, figuring out like understanding walk-in programs or understanding, Hey, here's, here's what you can do with your new puppy. You know, you you don't have to be totally overwhelmed. Um, I I would, I would view that as a wind. And so long winded answer, but I I think that was kind of the the goal in starting this. Well, I think that's a great, uh, answer in, in that I feel like there's a lot of people that have those questions. So when you turned to podcasts or started researching, what was the what were some of the biggest um, tips or um, pieces of advice that you did learn while listening and researching? Mm. Um, for me, so, so the dog part was new for me. Um, so I grew up with golden retrievers, um, but again, not, not hunting dogs, just house dogs. So I, I had a love for dogs and animals. But when it came to my first bird dog, um, I was so overwhelmed. I, I was always fearful of um, you know, what am I going to do to screw them up or should <laughs> I do this or should I not do that? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's overwhelming to, to be a young guy and, ha- and have this bird dog and you know what you want, kind of, <laughs> you're, you're still learning, you're still figuring it out. Sure. But well, hold on a second. Take us back to that moment. How old were you when you, when that happened? Uh, I, I say young, I was probably 25, 26, maybe 26. Okay. Like, so we, we just moved out here to Colorado from Chicago um, and, uh, this, this litter of Britney's came, came up and I was like, started talking with the wife. And, um, so, so yeah, go, going back to the original question, like it was just the understanding of like h- how to develop and how to work with this young bird dog. Cause I didn't know where to start. <laughs> so where did you turn or what um, was your, what was your biggest, um, piece of, or like, what was your, of all the places you, you researched, what was the most helpful? Um, I would probably say it's kind of a combo. So, so through podcasts, I think it just gives you the courage and some of the, um, it gives you context to things a lot. And so like, whether it's 
<laughs> this sounds silly, but like phrases or you know, understanding some of some of the lingo in the upland hunting bird dog community, like that gave you a great starting point. And so that was that was a again big wealth of knowledge for me. Um, the huge turning point for me was um, having a mentor. Um, so this was the guy who actually uh, owned the sire of my dog. My uh, yeah, owned the sire, the dad of my dog. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so through the breeder, uh, who owned the female, um, she, she said, Hey, like if you, if you want to get into hunting and stuff, like I'd, I'd reach out to this guy, Jeff. And, uh, you know, he's, he's always having people out of his place and he'll kind of get, you know, get you pointed in the right direction. And so again, I kind of had that courage of like mustered it up to say, all right, I'm going to call this random guy, Jeff, who I, I did have not met before. And, uh, he invited me out and that started a, a whole path of really getting to walk alongside someone and see firsthand, like, okay, this is how you do bird intro. This is what to do with a puppy. This is not what to do. Um, so that firsthand experience for me was a huge piece and still is to this day. He, he lives not too far from me and uh, we're able to go out there, train dogs, and he's constantly um, just, just kind of, again, hands-on, visually showing, showing me um, how to develop these, these young dogs. I've, I find that, and I talk about this pretty regularly on this podcast, uh, that a mentor is just like the the big heroes in this, in the Upland world. And, and what really kind of keeps this tight knit community that people like Jeff, well, what's Jeff's first and last name or last so Je- name? Jeff Hoskins. Okay. So, gotcha. so, he, so is, he runs a lot of AKC field trials. He's been, I mean, gosh, probably doing this, I think since he was 14, he said, and, um, just how he can read a dog and, you know, he's really, really good with puppies. And so when you see, him take a couple of young puppies out and start to develop them. It is, it's something special. It's, it's so cool when somebody like Jeff is willing to answer the phone call when somebody like you calls and then says, yeah, come on out. And they're passing down that knowledge because it's, there's so much value in it. And obviously you've learned a ton and now you're able to then help teach other people. Um, I, I just think I'm in this similar season as you will. And, and I'm learning so much with my dog, Daisy. And I, I go back to George Lyle, uh, my dog training mentor all the time. I mean, we talk at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week about life and dogs and our next uh, journey that we want to go on, uh, just anything and everything. But really when I have questions, I can go to him and I trust him and having somebody like that. Um, I think, you know, like you mentioned, it it is intimidating when you get that dog because you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to break that dog or ruin the dog. And so it's almost like, okay, I got a question here. I'm going to stop. I got, who do I call? Where do I turn? And there are some amazing trainers out there. There are now some online training courses. There Mm -hmm. are books. There's a lot of uh, information out there, but I feel like we always want to learn more. We always want to keep learning more. Yeah. Since since you started um, training, it was is it always been Brittany's? It, it has always been Brittany's. And Travis, I'm actually gonna. I just want to share a quick story with you. And again, yeah. I think this will resonate with with maybe some listeners. Again, just first from my own perspective, you know, again going into to bird dogs, I was brand new to this. My first time I was ever out of Jeff's. He's like, bring your pup with. We'll we'll introduce the birds and stuff. And again, I knew nothing. Like I was, I was figuring all this out. It's overwhelming. And again, I, I forget how old Gage was, but uh, I, let's say he's maybe four months old at the time. And again, I'm sure there's lots of thoughts on this, but I, I had an e-collar on him. I, I didn't have it on. I just had it on his neck. I was like, oh, I think I maybe heard like he should get used to it and all that. And I, I get him out of the truck and Jeff's like, what's that on his neck? I was like, that's a, that's an e-collar. I heard you're supposed to get him used to it. And he's like, he, he, he broke it down in such a kind way. He's like, well, you, there's no need for that right now. He's four months old. Like there's so much time for that. Like, he was this such a great job of being able to break that down for a, a new hunter and someone who has a bird dog and go, like, here's why, like, that'll come, that'll come later. Like, here's the process. Let's, let's walk through it slowly. And so th- that was just, I'll always remember that of, of you, you, you hear all these opinions and, and thoughts and ideas from other people, but once someone's able to take the time with you to break things down, it starts to really make sense. And so, um, mm-hmm. I just, I just thought that was worth sharing. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I constantly hear from a lot of people is, or once they get a puppy, they're, they're so like, I want to get them on birds. Where do I go to find birds? Where do you take your dog to go 
get them on birds. You go to game farm with birds. You got you know to train on on public ground, find birds. It's just all about birds, 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 birds. And I, to be honest, when I brought Daisy home, I was like, all right, I got to get her out there. We got to practice on birds. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's like this. Yeah, this this is stressful because you think that it has to be right away. It has to be now. Yeah, yeah. And George, first thing you said was, "She knows what a bird is. You do not have to spend any time introducing <laughs> her to birds right now. You need to develop your relationship. Yep. She needs a foundation. We're starting at ground. We're starting at zero and working her way up. That's we'll say that's ten. She's yep. got a lot of steps to go to get there. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just having somebody just pump the brakes. It'll be okay. It'll come. It'll yeah. come." And and I I do struggle with the podcasting side of it because dog training to me is such a visual. If you have somebody 100%. like yeah, if you have somebody like Jeff or like I have for George, where we're there together and we all right, where do we start? You know, and okay, we're gonna go to the we're gonna go to the chain gang, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna start there, and then yeah. you know, like all of these little teeny tiny intricacies and i'm like all right when are we gonna get to the birds and he's like dude you gotta get the birds out of your mind slow your so, roll slow your yes, roll yes exactly and and i'm like that's it for today he goes that's it yeah yeah it's, it's short it's short it's not long sometimes yeah i mean i'll, People, I'll drive 40, 40 minutes out to jeff's house sometimes and just to work on one or two things he's like all right that's it i was like oh, oh wait we're not we're not doing more we're not what he's like no that's that's all they're ready for today i'm like <laughs> okay then yeah Yep, exactly. And then you do that again the next time and uh-huh. then do it again the next time. <laughs> yep. So I think really, you know, as a as a rookie dog trainer myself, I would say that, um, you know, advice people ask sometimes or, you know, what I've learned that I like to give freely is that really it's a, it's a process and it takes time. And I've learned that everything that I want right now isn't coming right now, but um, over time, you, you will see the results and you, it will happen and your dog will get there if you continue <laughs> to invest the time. But as a father of five kids, how do you find the time, Will? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, you have to make time for it, I think, because it, it's not going to happen just randomly. And so you have to be intentional about you have to hold both those things in balance. And again, I'm speaking from my own, my own experience, but you have to hold both those things. Um, you know, being a father to those five kids went on the way. Um, it, but you have to, you have bird dogs and you have a responsibility to them. Um, you got them for a reason. Um, they're members of your family and they, des- they deserve to um, be exposed to birds, be, be trained, be conditioned and be ready to hit, hit the fields well. And so there's that tension. And for me, it, you, you might see, I, I bring my kids with me a lot for, for training. Mm-hmm. It is just, I love a, it when I see that you do a great job, including them. It's really cool. Well, th- thank you. It It's really just fun. It, it's fun to get to experience for them to get to experience bird dogs. Yes. That's, that's one thing like that's, they're learning so much through that process, but just to spend that extra time with your kids. Cause, cause again, one option is, Hey honey, I'll be back in a couple hours. I'm going to train dogs real quick. And I'll be back. But I, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I'm just like, well, you know what? I'm just going to, again, kind of alleviate, you know, give my wife a little break, take a couple of kids with me and uh, just spend some quality time with them. So, so it's a really beautiful thing um, being able to, to again, again, get the dogs worked, but also let the kids experience that. And again, it's slower sometimes. Like it's, it's more frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, they can ask a lot of questions and it can just be, you know, I'm trying to plant birds. Again, I might be on a time crunch and I'm trying to get this done quickly. So it's, you know, they want to walk out, you know, with me 150 yards to plant a bird. Well, that's a lot slower walking with a five-year-old than it is just, you know, just me doing right. that. So, but it, again, just slowing down a little bit and, you know, answering their questions, talking to them about their, their week at school, um, just creates some, some really cool opportunities there. How old are your kids or your oldest kids that you bring out? Yeah. So we have, um, uh, so I'll just go in order. So we have a 10, eight, five, and almost three-year-old twins. Um, I, I've only taken the twins out maybe once or twice when they were babies last year and actually just, just threw them in one of those baby carriers. And, uh, it was a blast. It was training it was with w- the baby Bjorn on. Yep. Yep. Nice. Or, you know, did a little, a back carry with, uh, with my, uh, the boy twin and, uh, it was a blast. And I had the five-year-old out with me at the time and uh, I think the eight-year-old as well. And so, um, it's, it's super fun. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. What, um, what have you 
learned about your kids by bringing them with, or what have they learned by joining you in the field? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it's funny because, so I'm just going to take the three older ones. They are all so different in, um, I would say their, their engagement and their interest with, with dogs and hunting. Um, I'll say, so the, the 10 year old, um, she is more interested in the dogs. Like she's all about the dogs. Like she's into like watch, you know, watching them point. And, and she's like, dad, how do they, how do they know how to point? And like, she's very focused on that aspect. And so that's, that's really fun to see. Now the eight year old boy, he, he could kind of take it or leave it, to be honest. He, he'll go, like he likes spending time with me, the other kids, like just kind of getting away for a little bit. But he's, he's kind of like, eh, I, I could take the dogs or leave them. Like it's, it's either, you know, it's not like a, mm -hmm. a huge thing for him. Well, then the five-year-old boy, he is just like all about the birds. Like to see his fascination level with pigeons and quail and chucker and, and studying them and looking at their, their eyes and their feet, like to, to see like, and again, he loves the dogs, but like his passion is like understanding the birds and dad, how do the pigeons know how to home and how do you train them how to home? Um, like, like they all have their unique interest level mm -hmm. and I just try to do a good job of like, okay, his, he's interested in the birds. Like, let's, let's talk about that more. Or, you know, my daughter's, you know, she's more about the dogs and puppies and like genetics even. She's like asking about that. I'm like, so it, it's really cool to see their, their different levels of, uh, of interest. So you didn't have anybody that did this for you when you were a kid, when you were their age, your, your life did not have hunting in it, did it? So uh, not for me directly. Um, so I did a ton of fishing with my dad. Um, he, he was a big fisherman. We'd go up to Wisconsin all the time. Um, my dad would, would deer hunt with my uncles on and off like once or twice a year. Um, but, but nothing serious. He might go on like a Canada goose hunt, you know, again, once a year. So not, a, not a huge part. Um, my uncles were, were pretty into, to, again, mostly big game hunting, some waterfowl. It was always that thing. Like I, I wanted to do, I wanted to, I had that drive to like want to tag along with my dad. It just didn't happen. Um, uh, like, Oh, well, you know, we'll go fishing. I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. And that was, that was super fun. Um, it wasn't until much later in life. Um, I mean, after I was married, so I was married early. I mean, gosh, I was 20 or 21 when I got married. Um, my dad joined a hunt club out in Illinois and he joined his club randomly. Again, he didn't hunt pheasant much. And he's like, Hey, look, let's, let's start going out. I'm like, okay, cool. And, uh, so that was a whole new experience for me again, early twenties and, um, doing a preserve hunt. Um, and that was my first introduction to upland hunting of, of any kind. Hmm. So <clears throat> now, um, you've got how many dogs? So I have two right now. Okay. Just two. At what point you mentioned pigeons and quail and chucker. At what <laughs> point did you feel comfortable bringing in your own birds into the scenario? Yeah. Um, so j I just have pigeons right now myself. Um, there's a couple other places I, I go that will have quail and chucker, but, um, I would say th the pigeon just came for me personally last year, I think. I think so about last four, year, four years into it. Yeah. Your... Four years, four years into it. And again, that was, that was one of the things I was kind of scraping and clawing to figure out like, okay, who has homing pigeons? Where can I get them? How can I, how could I raise them? I mean, we're in the suburbs. So it's, it's not easy. It's definitely not <laughs> easy. raising. It's, um, we do have chickens too. And so in our community we live in, we can have chickens. Do you sleep? You probably can't sleep. You don't have time to sleep. Do you? No, it doesn't, it doesn't come easy. <laughs> does, uh, up, I mean, I, I go to bed. My wife would, she'll tease me for this. I, I mean, I do go to bed at like eight thirty, nine o'clock maybe <laughs> to be honest. I'm like an old man when it comes to, to sleep, but I'm up at, you know, five, five thirty. So Jeepers. So where did you turn to get your pigeons then? Or where, you know, like if you had a bird dog training mentor, yep. but the adding your own pigeons into the mix is its own, it's its own process. <laughs> well, so here's the funny thing. So for a long time, um, so my mentor, Jeff, again, he's about 40, 45 minutes from me. Um, he, he raises some really, really nice, uh, homing pigeons. And so I would drive out to his place, pick up three or four pigeons, bring them back to my place you know, take him to take my dogs to a local spot around my house, uh, do some drills. Like last summer I was, I was, uh, woe breaking my oldest dog and got to the point where I needed to introduce birds to it. And so, yeah, I, I drive out two, three times a week, grab birds from Jeff and, uh, release them, uh, from around my house 
and they would make it back to his house that night. So that, that was a whole thing in itself. And then finally I'm like, actually inherited some birds from a friend of mine, um, who moved to Texas and he, he wasn't going to bring his birds. Um, so he, uh, he gave me his, uh, his little pigeon coop and uh, a couple of his homers. What are, what is Upland Brits? Upland Brits. Um, fun fact. So when we, when we got, um, I think the day we brought Gage home, um, he's, he's an American Brittany, uh, almost going to turn five here. Um, we started the account is called, uh, uh, what was it called? Gage, Gage of Instagram or something, or, or, I don't know, bird dog Gage or something. My wife and I just started a silly thing to be like, Hey, we're just going to, I don't know, document the new puppy. And she actually ran it for the first, I don't know, month or two. And then as I'm, I'm kind of like getting more serious, like, Hey, I, you know, getting into hunting and, and want to develop this, this dog. Um, I changed it to Upland Brits and it's just been kind of a, a way to document, um, really my, you know, my journey, but his journey as, as a bird dog and, um, kind of, yeah, just, just document things along the way and, and share, uh, share the success, the failures, everything in between. Um, so it's been a really fun thing. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's grown over the last several years. So that's, that's essentially an Instagram account. Is it anything more than that? Yeah, just, just an Instagram account, um, okay. Upland Brits. Um, and that, yeah, that obviously came way before Upland Rookie, um, the podcast or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's just uh, Instagram. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all. I have a couple hats, a couple Upland Brits hats that, that are out in the wild now, but. <laughs> hacks? Like somebody hacked the account? Oh, no, no. Hat, hats. H-A-T-S. Oh, hats. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so you've launched your own podcast and and you talk, you know, kind of like we do on this one. It's all basically Upland bird hunting. But one thing I noticed is that you really get into a lot of the gear that you use. A lot of, not, not going to call you a gear junkie, but. Uh, you break down things like your summer um, bike training or bike running system and, and everything like that. Are you? How would you describe your your gear? Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like your your passion for the gear side of hunting. Do uh, you, you mean to say addiction? Addiction. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the more uh, appropriate term, but sure. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know, man. It's it, gear has. I've. I mean, this goes back to when I was a kid. Like I loved, <laughs> this sounds really bad. I love stuff. I love gear and no matter what, you know, hobby you're into, like I just always found that really, um, just kind of a fun thing for me to do. Um, so again, dialing in my, my truck setup or my, you know, my gear for the season. Like I, I appreciate quality gear and mm-hmm. kind of unpacking it for, you know, for listeners or, or those that are following on, on Instagram. Um, specifically the, the bike setup, um, that's been something I've been, I've been doing with my dogs for, I mean, since Gage was probably one and a half, maybe, um, I started to, uh, bike with him. And again, just a way, like, again, we're in the suburbs and we don't have, you know, massive open fields that we can just turn them loose and let them run. Um, we have a bunch of dog parks. So I'm, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the dog parks. They get a little crazy. They do. Um, so I just decided like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start biking with them. Um, I, I, I never saw anyone else do it. Like I thought this was like a one of a kind kind of thing, but you know, the more I'm into it now, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is pretty common, but it's just a way to, to keep him conditioned. And, um, it's, he's put on, he's put on some serious muscle from, from biking. And, you know, when we, uh, when we head in the season, he's, he's ready to go. Um, can you explain kind of where you go and where, cause you, you can't with their pads, you don't want to, um, run on concrete too much. Right. I mean, where do you like to run the dogs? Yeah. So, I mean, and that's going to be very dependent where everyone lives. For me, I'm lucky enough, um, pretty close to my house. There are, uh, some gravel trails. Um, so, so for me, that works out really well. I mean, I, I will at all costs try to avoid concrete and asphalt at all costs. Again, it, to some degree, it's inevitable, I, you know, f- to get from my house to the trailhead. Um, I have to get on some, some sidewalks, but it's not very far. Um, but I'll even go as far, like, again, to get to this one trail by my house, um, there's a sidewalk and there's a soccer field. Well, I, I've got engaged now where we're on this, this big straightaway headed to the trail. We'll actually ride on the grass for that, this whole section. And so, so I'm pretty diligent about like grass is going to be better than concrete for sure. Um, so, so I'm just looking for those opportunities where, Hey, can we get them off the asphalt or get them off the concrete? 
Um, just cause yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to burn those pads up. Um, even joints I've heard it can be pretty rough on their joints hitting that, that concrete over and over. Um, so yeah, as much as we can, we're getting on, on concrete and I, um, I, I like having my dogs run out front of me. I know there's some different setups with, um, there's some, some systems where they can run on the side of you. Um, I, I really enjoy just having them run out in front and kind of pull me along. Um, I burn brake pads really quick on my bike, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of worth it. I think they're, they're not only, you know, running and moving forward, but they're having to use some of their body weight and some of their muscle to, you know, pull me along. And so I, I think it's a really good, uh, just all around workout for them. Do you do anything in the winter then skiing or uh, ski joring is kind of a dog, uh, I guess here in Minnesota or the Midwest, that's fairly popular and it's not necessarily hunting dogs, but it's another way to keep your dog running even after the season in the wintertime. Do you do any of that? I, I've heard about that. And I, I know some people now who, who do that here in Colorado. Um, I have not, again, probably like you, I'm, I'm doing a ton of hunting in the winter. Um, and then once, once season is kind of over, like we're over around end of January, um, I, I usually give the dogs kind of February just to chill. Um, and then again, Colorado, like we have some beautiful days, uh, starting even in March and April. And so, um, I might get, get them out there again on the bike or, or just run around in some fields. Um, uh, then, and, and as well, some of the trials I've been doing start in uh, March in the springtime. So there's, there's kind of that like an extended season where they're, they're getting out and, and working still. Uh, the bike setup that you use, could you just kind of briefly, this will be the last question on that, but just kind of briefly explain, um, you know, like if you wanted to get this system, you know, like how much are you looking at and is there a good system that you use? You know, you've probably tested a few items, I assume. Um, what would you recommend to somebody that's interested in, in doing that to help their dogs get conditioned before the season kicks in here in a couple months? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've, I've used two now extensively. The, the first one I'll, I'll say what I used up until about a month and a half ago um, was just a, a leather leash, six foot leather leash from some website I got. Um, so I would just loop that over my handlebars. And then that was connected to, I think one of those like a, a rough wear vest, dog vest, or, or a, what's it called? Not a vest. Shoulder system or something. Um, yep, you don't want to. It's not connected to their collar. It, correct, not connected to their yeah. collar. Um, harness. Sorry, harness. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, there for. you go. Harness. I was like, why am I blinking on this? Um, so that was. <laughs> I, was, so, I, was like, I was like, what is this called? I'm like looking at one in my garage. Um, so, anyways, that was connected to a roughwear harness. Um, so I used that for for many years and worked really well. Um, it, again, I, I did a whole episode on this and kind of breaking it down a little further, but. It is dicey. Like it is kind of a risk. Again, if you're if you get some speed going, like there is a risk of that that leash kind of falling into that front tire, and you know you're going to have some some trouble. Um, so again, it's all about the dog. Like you got to get your dog wanting to run forward. Like their whole mission is to go forward. Um, so again, sometimes you have to reach around to that leash if there's some slack and kind of keep it off that front tire. Um, so again. All in all, it worked well for several years. Um, I, I was just turned on to a company called Nonstop Dogwear, and um, they their whole spe they specialize in like sled dogs and bike joring and all that stuff. And so I got a, a a new harness system from them, as well as a, a bungee leash. And the bungee leash, let me tell you, makes all the difference. It uh, it, it helps keep that slack off that front tire. And so no matter if the dog's pulling and then let's say they slow down a little bit, like that bungee is kind of regulating the tension. So it's, it's, you're not having any more, more of those scenarios where it's going to get caught in that front tire. Um, and, and honestly just a smoother pulling experience. And so there's, there's kind of consistent pressure on that the whole time versus this, uh, this whiplash effect. So highly recommend that the bungee leash that's been a, a game changer for sure. So that's, that's really it. I mean, that's it's just a harness for the dog, the leash around my handlebars, and um, and that's it. So it's it's pretty simple. How many I think miles? All in. Oh, I was, all in. I think it was like 180, maybe for for both those items. Okay. They're, they're a little bit more on the pricey side, but um, I figured I, I'd do it enough that it was it was worth it. Yeah, it's, with gear, a lot of times, you know, with any any gear of any kind, sports or hunting. I mean, you typically, if you invest in the right thing right off the bat 
down the road, it might not be the most expensive thing after yeah. all, instead of buying multiple things. But um, how many miles do you like to go with your dogs when you're doing this during the summer months? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a couple months ago, we, we kind of just started our, I don't know, quote, season of, of, of biking. And um, I'll start out pretty short. So I'll start out with maybe like two miles only. So it's not not crazy when we start out. Um, we'll kind of do a, a two mile loop. And then as the season progresses, by the end of August, I'll, I'll get Gage going probably seven to eight miles. Um, and again, we're not, we're not doing a full out sprint the whole time. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm on my brakes quite a bit. So there's some pulling resistance because there's no need. He needs to run full out sprint for, you know, five, six miles. Um, so it just depends. It's, it's a slow workup. You want to, you know, make sure you're not you know, they haven't ran for two months and, Oh, Hey bud, we're going to go do eight miles now. <laughs> so it's, it's a slow build up for sure. Gotcha. I want to get into your truck setup and, and hunting gear, but first I have to welcome North Dakota tourism back to the podcast. They've been uh, one of the original sponsors of this show and we're thankful for that. And I'm thankful because, well, I love hunting in North Dakota and hunting season is just around the corner. And that means it's time to start planning. So if you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this season, then I strongly recommend that you consider North Dakota. It's a bird hunting paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. For the latest plots guide, visit the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average. That's way up. And their prey bottle region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index is up over 600% from last year's drought. The habitat on the landscape looks great. And I'm hearing reports of a good hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field this fall, surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kampucha. Nutrisource Kampucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional, healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now, they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Will, have you ever hunted in North Dakota? I have. Uh, the, the, it was the trip of my life last, uh, last fall. Really? What did you hunt for? Uh, Sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge. And let me tell you, it was, it'll go down as, as probably the, at least to date, the, the top hunt I've went on. Really? Yeah. It was, I, I've never, so never hunted huns before. It was my first experience uh, chasing huns. And um, first, first field, first morning I was there, um, got into uh, to a covey of huns. Um, over my dog Gage, uh, a really good friend of mine, his dog. Um, it was, it, it, yeah, watching watching Gage bring back this hun on that that first one. Um, it was it was special. It was really really special. 
It's such a cool place. And in the fall, I could, I feel like I, if I could just have a place up there that I'd move from like mid, you know, basically <laughs> mid September through November, I would be in heaven because I want to do it all. Like that's my, my struggle. And, and I been hunting up there since I was in high school, my buddies, we'd hunt ducks and geese and pheasants. We'd try to do everything in the day, but in October, obviously the daylight hours are shorter and there's just not enough time to do it all. And then pretty soon you come home and you're like, oh gosh, that was amazing. Take me back. Take me back. I was, I was driving back home and I was like, I just want to turn around and go back. <laughs> I know. I know. So when people, I, I get asked quite a bit, you know, where would you go this fall if you could go anywhere? And I say, well, you know, South Dakota gets a lot of attention for pheasants and, you know, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But I, I personally like the variety. I like the fact that when a dog, my dog goes on point, it might be a pheasant. It might be a sharp-tailed grouse. It might be a covey of huns. Uh, that's what I really appreciate about going there. So I'm willing to drive a little bit further, a couple extra hours from Minnesota where I live and have that opportunity. So I tell people, I'm like, yeah, there's you know, there can be great pheasant hunting in South Dakota. Iowa is now a great spot to go for mm. uh, pheasants again, too. But then there's North Dakota that just like, it just never seems to disappoint. Even if one, you know, like last year with the drought affected things a little bit, there were pockets that were awesome, you know, and if, if you're willing to just do a little scouting and drive around a little bit, you can find those birds relatively quickly too. I'm guessing you, you hunted on public ground or just did your own research when you went up there? Yeah. Yeah. All public ground. Um, fortunate enough, I have a, have a buddy who, who lives up there. And, um, so he, 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 did, he was kind of like my tour guide, to be honest. Uh, he did a great job of just, you know, helping us find some spots, but, um, yeah, we did, we did all public ground, um, jumped over to Montana quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. so again, having that, having that option as well was, was really nice. Gotcha. And you live in which part of Colorado again? So we're, we're just South of Denver. Okay. And you're, you're in the suburbs, but how far do you have to travel to get into birds in Colorado? Um, it's, it's going to depend. You either go east or west from where I'm at. Um, east for pheasant and, and some quail, um, you're talking two and a half hours minimum. You, you might be able to find a field or two, like two hours away. Um, but you're, you're definitely doing some driving. Um, and if you go west, to be honest, I haven't done a ton of, of mountain uh, Colorado birds yet. And we have uh, dusky grouse, uh, sage mm -hmm. grouse, and mountain sharp tails, things like that. Um, I did it for the first time last year, um, which was a blast. Um, unsuccessful, but still still really fun. Um, again, you're looking at that two, probably two, two hour plus mark at least. Worth it. I would say, you know, even for where I live here in central Minnesota, about an hour west of the Twin Cities, I've got pheasants around. I can hunt and I do. But to get into really, you know, Minnesota's best areas, I like to drive at least an hour and a half, a lot of times up to three hours just for a day hunt because it just, you know, it's worth it. It just, yeah. it's worth it. Um, yeah, I I'll mentioned. Do, I'll do oh, so I was just going to say, I, I do three hour day trips all the time. Like, like a three hour day trip, I can totally do that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm leaving my house at four, but you know, it's, I, I can get those in pretty easy. I mentioned a uh, truck setup and I know you've done kind of walkthroughs of, of your hunting rig, but what do you have in your setup that you really like? Cause you're like a lot of public land hunters. I mean, you drive, you've got everything you need. Um, do you feel like you're set for every scenario that you might run into? <laughs> um, I, I like to think so, but then there's always that time you get out there and you go, Oh, I don't have this or I, Oh, I forgot to put this in the truck. Um, so, so there's those times. Um, I mean, I'm always changing too. Like I, I'm, I'll, I'll never say, Oh, this is the setup I'm going to do forever. Um, so, so I actually just recently changed setups again. Um, so I was rocking the, the topper with a deck system and then a okay. couple kennels on top of the deck. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, worked really well for a couple seasons. I, I was digging it. Um, a couple times I was able to sleep in the back of the, of the truck on the, uh, again, top of the deck under the topper kind of thing. And so that worked really well, but having a topper with a deck system too, kind of creates some, some challenges just for like even day-to-day -day stuff. Like again, height wise for like bigger boxes or, or things like that. Um, just created mm -hmm. some some challenges. So um, I just got rid of the topper on my truck. <laughs> I know, crazy. Because okay. um, I, I was a big fan of that for a while. 
keeping the deck system and I'm getting a, a custom built dog box from B pro kennels. Um, so that should be here before season starts. And, um, I'm going to rock the dog box. It's a three hole. And so there is, is another bird dog in our future here coming up here. Um, Ooh. so we're going we're gonna to be rocking the, the three Brits and with the dog box, uh, in the back of the truck. So we'll, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to get that set up rocking and rolling. I feel like the two there's two main setups that I've seen. Uh, the deck system, which obviously has got great storage, but do you think it's like 12 inches high, roughly? Uh, roughly, yes. It it, it is okay. it is high. It is it is definitely high. And so yeah, you're. I mean, no matter what you put on top, whether it's you have a topper or not, like things are going to sit up higher, and you just mm-hmm. have to be comfortable. You know, if you're okay without seeing out the back window, which which I am, it's fine. Um, I I, just, I don't know. I like that that. I think a dog box is something classic about it, you know, and, uh, I think it'll, there, the whole, each dog hole is going to be deep enough where, I mean, you technically could fit two Britneys in each of those. So, Hmm. um, but yeah. Have you heard of the, the Lear Locker? The Lear Locker? Yes. And it sits in the top of the Lear. Yes. So that's what I have. And so people, when they see it, they're like, oh yeah, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it tends to go one of two ways. Either somebody that wants to totally pimp out their truck, they go with the deck system or a lot of people that I know have now installed the Lear Locker, which is what I have too. And basically it attaches to the top of, it attaches to the bottom of the top of your topper. And then there's two buttons and then it, it slides down and you can put uh, several guns and there's um, slots and space for shells. I mean, I basically, I've got everything from uh, toe straps to jumper cables to an air compressor to pump up my tires. I've got a first aid kit. I've got roughly a case of shells. If I add up, you know, through lead or uh, different, you know, 20 gauge, 12 gauge, 16 gauge. I mean, I've got shells for all different yeah. scenarios. Um, you know, gloves. I mean, more storage, vest, more storage, hat. the better, honestly. Yeah, totally. But more but, options for storage and just, you know, organizing stuff. Like it, it just makes, makes me feel better. It, I, I feel good. And I always want my truck on every hunt. I really do because I feel like I have yeah. everything that I'm going to need. Um, you know, and so when I just pull that down, it slides right down and then it slides back up. Um, it's to me, I just think it's just an awesome setup, uh, because I still have the whole box. Essentially. I don't yeah. lose do you, that. Do you have that a, space. do you have a, any kind of drawer system with yours? The no drawer in system in the deck, but in the, okay. in the Lear locker, it's basically split in half. Um, oh, nice. you know, on the left half I've got so that my guns can line up in, in that space. And on the right half, I've got slots that aren't drawers, but, um, it essentially, it breaks apart, you know, like the whole flat space. And that's mm-hmm. where I line things up and I, I set things there. Um, you know, the drawer system, I, I love it. I, I like it. I've got some friends that have it with the deck, but then I look at it and I say, well, you know, I, with the family, I've got a lot of other things, you know, like I had to put a little gator and a little, uh, yep. you know, the, the motorized, uh, toys and totally. everything else. It does, so I still it, it have, can create. Yeah, can create some challenges for sure. Totally. So I still have room with it. That's why I, yeah. I'm i convinced that I think the Locker, from my perspective and my needs, is the way to go. I mean, I that's absolutely pro- love awesome. it. And I still that's have my awesome. kennels in there and it works. But it's been fun to kind of see how people pimp out their vehicles because oh, I know absolutely. people that camp. And like you mentioned too, you camped yeah. out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. What are What are some other gear-related items that you bring with in the field that most or somebody might be surprised to hear? Um, that's a good question. Um, be surprised to hear. I mean, I got all the, the truck recovery stuff, um, that lives in, in one of my deck drawers. Uh, again, you know, tire inflator, got, uh, some max tracks again, knock on wood. I've been thankful not to have to use any of those yet. <laughs> I'm knocking on wood right mm-hmm. now. Um, <laughs> so also, yeah, all your basic first aid stuff in the truck, extra shells, uh, cleaning kit for the gun, uh, some, some stuff like that. I don't think anything would be abnormal. Um, extra snacks. I just, I leave in the truck. I leave an extra bag, um, like a Ziploc bag of dog food in the truck at all times. Cause I nice. have been known for going on an overnight trip and forgetting dog food. I know. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just, I keep a, uh, I keep an extra bag of food in the truck that I just kind of leave in there at all times just in case, 
again, you're going to have those times where you're, you're trying to get out quick for a hunt and, and going on a trip and you're going to forget something. So the more I can leave in the truck and just have either an extra set in there that, that I can just forget about, um, has, has really come in handy. Yeah. And there's so much of that, um, you know, the truck stuff too, that it's amazing how many times I've seen somebody stranded out in the middle of nowhere that I, I can help them. I've got everything I need to help you. I'll pull yeah. you right out of that ditch. Let's yep, go. Yep. You know, I, I kind of want to use it. I know exactly. I've got it. I know I can help you. I'm going to do it. You know, like, hold on guys, we'll get back to hunting in a minute. I'm going to make this person's day a little bit easier on them. We're going to yep. get them out. I've, I've shoveled people out. I've pulled them out. I've, you know, like, I'm ready. Tires. I'm like, ready to go. Yeah, totally. Totally. Exactly. It's, it's a lot of fun to be able to know that you've got what you need. So I, I like being prepared as well. So, uh, let's talk about this season. Um, or should we talk about summer training? Which one would you prefer? We're, we're going to kind of look at like 10, 15 either, minutes left. Time. You, you go either, either way. I'm ready to go. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Waltons, what can I say? They are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat. From wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Meat Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. All right. So a couple things that you're working on right now with your dogs this time of the year, we talked about running them to keep them in shape, but what else are you working on as the summer wanes and we look into the season? Yeah. So, um, it's gonna be different for both of my dogs right now. Again, they're just, they're just different ages, different experience levels. Um, so gauge my older one, uh, I'm just going to tighten up his retrieve a little bit. Um, he got through trial season. He was, he was pretty solid on it. Um, bringing it all the way back to hand. Um, but then when, he, when he's warm at all, um, he'll tend to like get it within like maybe two big steps of me and just drop it. And so just kind of brushing up on, uh, on his retrieve a little bit on, on holding it a little bit longer. Can I ask um, what, what yeah. do you do then when that happens? How do you get him to bring it all the way back? What's your approach? Um, so, so I think I'm doing more reps of retrieving and just kind of re going back to reinforcing the hold. And so, um, I put him back up on the table in the garage a couple weeks ago and just kind of went back to the very foundation of hold, um, just to kind of remind him like hold means do not drop this. Um, and then bringing him out to the yard, getting them into some other fields and just working on that. Uh, again, he's bringing it back and I'll say, I'll, I'll kind of do a reminder, hold, hold, um, just as a cue. And then the more we go, I'll start dropping the verbal again and just hoping he, <laughs> hoping he follows mm -hmm. through. Do you have a certain amount of reps you do each time you work on it? Um, with him, probably probably ten to fifteen. Honestly, like he's he can be pretty committed. Like he could he could go longer probably, um, but but you know 10, 10 good reps. Like I'm I'm happy with that. And we'll again, that's an easy thing to do in the yard or you know take him to an open space by my house. And so that's some that's something we can work on. That's that's pretty quick and and kind of fun. Again, another thing to get the kids involved with. You know, have them throw the bumper and you know have him deliver it to them. Um, so it's some other fun stuff to get the, uh, get the kids involved with. What are you most looking forward to for this year, this hunting season? Oh, this hunting season. Um, 
uh, like I mentioned, it's going to be a little trickier in September. We have that. We have our, our, our sixth baby due. Um, but uh, I did get the green light from the wife to take a late September <laughs> hunting trip. Um, so getting back out on the prairies, I'm going to be making a trip back up to North Dakota and Montana again. Um, but I, if you ask me what I'm most excited for, um, I came really close to a Colorado sage grouse last year. Um, it is, it's, there's not many, um, Hmm. but I I was able to get into a pretty large covey, about eight, eight or nine birds last year. Um, my, she was what, seven, seven or eight months old at the time when my, my younger Brittany, um, we, it was actually before season open. We were, we were doing a, uh, kind of a scouting trip and just letting them run up there. And, uh, she, she pointed this, this covey of sage grouse and I was, I was shocked that we found them to be honest. And so came close and went back out there for the season opener and, um, and yeah, just, just didn't come together last year. So I, I think that's, that's something that's really, really high on my, my priority list right now is to get back out there and, and bag a, a sage grouse in my home state. What, how long does the season run in Colorado for sage grouse? Um, it's really short. There, there's two different seasons. There's a two day season in a couple areas and then there's a seven day season in a couple other areas. So it's, sorry, it's a short, I, it, it cut out there. What was it? So it's, there's a two day season, um, in a few areas and then a seven day season, uh, okay. in another area. So it's a short, short window of time, but, uh, if I can get up there for maybe two days at least and, and just try to give it my best, um, well, hopefully it can, uh, it can happen. Back to the podcast to wrap this up, Upland Rookie Podcast. Um, you've been doing it for a while now. Do you do weekly episodes or do you do every other week? What's your goal with that? Yeah. I mean, just a season of life. I mean, I started out doing weekly, uh, then went down to every other, and now I'm back on weekly. So it just, it's going to kind of ebb and flow with, uh, again, my season of life. And, you know, again, I'm a dad of kids, work full time, mm. just life. You, you get it. Um, yep, so totally back on week, weekly episodes right now and, um, yeah, just, yeah. The Upland Rookie podcast, uh, on all your, <laughs> all your basic, uh, platform platforms. Yeah. And what have you learned since you started producing that show that you were surprised by? Um, oh gosh, that's a really good question. I, I I've been blown away. I, I thought it was going to be very like, I'm just interviewing someone hearing their story and, and people out there are going to be able to take things away from this. I think the level of, of knowledge that I've been able to learn from these conversations just surprised me. I was like, I'm learning as much as I, I hope the listeners are in each episode. Like I'm, I'm taking notes, I'm writing down, oh, I, I, I didn't know that, or I want to ask more about you know that question, about this dog. Um, so what I've been able to gain personally, um, just learning from, from people's stories. I mean, there's so much power in you know, stories and experiences, um, you know, these, these guys and girls that I'm talking to, um, maybe some of them have, have been doing this long, maybe, maybe longer than I've been alive, some of them. Um, and I think the knowledge that we can gain from one another is, is something that is so valuable. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Anything that you have been surprised about that you dislike about it? I mean, has it changed your, does it feel like it's a job to you? It's changed the way that you enjoy talking about hunting? Does it feel like it's too much? I mean, it has its, it has its seasons of that. Um, I think like, again, there's seasons like, so several months ago I was down to every other week. Like I, I had to go down to every other week cause, cause I was kind of drowning between work and family and podcasts. So I was like, you know what? I need to be in a healthy spot. I need to go down to mm-hmm. every other week episodes. But, but now I'm in mean, the last two months. I mean, I've been recording, you know, three, four times a week. Like I have episodes stored up that I'm, I'm excited to release and launch. And so, I, I mean, things that I'm surprised about, like it, it is work. Like it is, it takes time to craft an episode that I'm proud of, you know, craft questions and a discussion that, you know, I would want to listen to, not just, Hey, tell me, tell me what, you know, like I want to, I want to make these good episodes that, that I would enjoy listening to. And so it's, it's not, I'm again, you plug a mic in and and start a podcast. Anyone can do that, but, um, it it does take time. I I think to, to do it well, make it sound good, make it flow. Um, so it, it it takes some work. It, it, It takes some effort for sure. 
Absolutely, it does. Well, I think you do a good job. And like you mentioned before about how you're taking notes too. So if you're learning, then your listeners are learning too. And that makes it an interesting conversation versus just turning it on and just asking, hey, how'd you get started? Why did you do it? You know, I mean, the, the basic questions. I mean, if you're really getting into something, which is hard to do consistently. I mean, I personally, we've been doing this podcast now for like two and a half years. And there's some times where I'm like, I wonder if the listener gives a crap about what I (laughs) want to talk about today. And, you know, like, would I listen to this today? I don't know. You know, sometimes I think, hmm, I wonder if I should just take like a break, like a summer sabbatical or something, you know? And, and then, you know, would would that be a good thing or yeah. everyone go away and never come back? I don't know. I mean, you know, and are the topics, that's why I always ask people, tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me who yeah. you want to hear me interview or talk to. I mean, are there certain places we should be looking at? Because yeah. I feel like I'm just trying to provide conversation that people can get something good out of, maybe be entertained, um, you know, help them when they're out in the field or when they're training. So it's taken me to a variety of places too. And it's fun. And the people that you basically meet and uh, the stories that you're able to talk about and laugh at and learn yeah. from <laughs> make it make it pretty fun in the end. So I'm sure I'll look back one day and you'll probably look back one day too and be like, hey, that was a pretty cool chapter in life. Who knows oh, where absolutely. it's going to take us. But for right now, you know, um, you know, it's fun. And, and one of the things, one of the things I'd like to do, and my listeners may may catch on to this or not, like I'll get into like um, kind of like grooves of, a, of maybe a certain topic that I like to talk about, maybe a, a certain topic with multiple guests, because I, I really appreciate the different perspectives and different lenses of something. So, like puppy development, for example, like I love talking to guests on like, hey, how do you develop a puppy? What's worked for you? Like, what do you look for in genetics and breedings? Like that's just stuff that's really, really interesting to me. And I don't just want to have one guest's opinion. I really enjoy like having multiple different touch points and and thoughts on like developing a young bird dog. And I think that's, again, as we grow and as we learn more about upland hunting and and the the love for bird dogs, I think it's good to not just have one source of of information, but it's, it's nice to hear, you know, again, those different, different perspectives from different guests. Absolutely, too. Another point that I've learned is that, you know, I'm so focused on this pointing dog that I have, this pointing breed, and and training her that sometimes I'm guilty of forgetting about the retrievers, you know, the yeah. labs out there. And so then I remind myself, hey, I need to, we need to dig into different breeds and not just be what's what's on my mind. But I, it helps me, too. The more Absolutely. well-rounded you are in everything, especially in this you know, dog training world or hunting world, the better. But yeah. I think that's in anything in life. And it's been, it's been, uh, it's been fun, but also, you know, like I have to be, it's if, if it's gonna, too. it is, it can be a yeah. challenge sometimes too, because it's like, all right, I don't know enough about this. So I'm really honestly asking you and wondering, uh, you know, when I have guests on to, to understand things that I don't know, hopefully it, resonates with listeners. Hopefully they learn something. And like I mentioned earlier, it's, it can be tough to help somebody train by talking when they see it, when they see it, my goodness, it's something to be, you know, like it sinks in when you're like, Oh yeah. So watching that mentor and getting a mentor. So over and over, I stress mentorship over and over. I stress bringing your kids along in your family and your wife and, and making it a lifestyle versus just, I'm going to go do what I want to do. Um, and, and not including them. So I think you're doing the exact same thing and I enjoy watching what you're doing and I appreciate the effort you're putting into it because I know it's not easy. I'm over here doing it too. And when I see you pumping out episode after episode, I'm like, good for you. Well, keep (laughs) it up, man. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, Well, Uh, you you. do a great job. So, uh, congrats on baby number six coming. I wish you and your wife well. Um, and that, that is it a boy or a girl? Do you know? Uh, no, another girl. So we're, we're going to have three girls, three boys. This will, this will even us out. There you go. Even it up. Beautiful. Well, congrats on, on the baby girl coming. And she's lucky to be in a family with a father that wants to bring her along on those kind of journeys. So uh, keep it up, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Travis. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on here. This was, uh, this was a real, uh, real blast chatting with yeah. you. We'll do it again. And maybe we'll have to do some more gear breakdowns because I think once people like, You've got some lot of uh, gear knowledge that um, 
is worth digging into as well. So, uh, thank you. We'll try to we'll try to do it again. I appreciate everybody listening. Next week, I have um, an interesting guest. That um, well, just come back next week. How about that? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep rambling. We're gonna wrap it up right here. Uh, but as far as the television show, the episode airing this week on the Flush on the Outdoor Channel is a Great Lakes grouse hunt, rough grouse up on the North Shore of Minnesota. Uh, probably some of the best rough grouse footage that we've ever captured. Uh, just incredible. Uh, and the dog, the, the dogs in this episode, you just have to watch to really appreciate what they've gone through to still be in the field. Let's just say one of them does not have all four legs um, and how it ended up the way it did. Got to tune in. And then next week, I am climbing mountains in Colorado and chasing ptarmigan on one of the most epic journeys that I've ever been with the camera following behind me. So I hope that you'll tune in to watch that. And our season is just rolling. Hunting season will be here before we know it. But until it gets here, you can watch some adventures and start planning your upcoming season. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank, reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field.